It's good to be together to hear what God has to say to us from his word, and I trust he will enable us to listen. Before we look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, can we join together in a short word of prayer? Our gracious Lord, once again this evening, you have been faithful to us in enabling us to gather together. We give thanks to you that you promised to be where two or three of us are gathered together in your name. And we pray that we would hear your voice through your word. Grant us, O Lord, a hearing ear and an understanding heart. May your spirit work in us not only to hear, not only to understand, but to put into practice by your grace what you are teaching us. Humble us and bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For a short while, uh, I'd like us to look at this very well-known narrative from 1 Samuel chapter 3. Can I just start on a a small personal note uh, relating to when I was uh, fairly young myself, uh, perhaps younger than some of those who are here tonight. But when I was a young lad, probably... In my pre-teen years, uh, I had an uncle, and uh, he served in the army away from home. And he used to come home and leave from time to time. And one of the things that he had in his possession was a tape recorder. Now, I'm not talking about a a small thing, uh, these electronic devices we have even in recent times. But it was a huge thing. It was about uh, almost the size of this lectern. It was quite heavy as well. And uh, it, it used to, it was working with uh, reels of tape, the reel to reel type of tape record, recorder. He used it to record music and also record people's voices. I think it was very much Scottish music like Andy Stewart and Kenneth McKellar. And Jimmy Shand and his band, he used to record that sort of music. Uh, One of the the types of reels he used uh, uh, on the tape recorder, uh, it used to be in in a flat cardboard box. And one of the things I noticed on the box is a picture showing an old fashioned gramophone a record player for those of you who are not of that vintage. Uh, And there was this uh, huge speaker, like a a, a tuba horn coming out of the gramophone. That was the speaker from the gramophone. And some of you may know what I'm going to say next. Uh, In the picture was also uh, peering into the loudspeaker. A dog. I'm sure many of us know what I'm talking about here. And the dog was sitting on its haunches as though listening absolutely intently. Thank you, Esther. Come, sir. And look at the inscription under the dog. His master's voice. I think that is very much in line with 
something that I want to speak to you about tonight from this chapter uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. I wonder, before we look at that, some of you may be aware of a shop in the Murrogate, and it's known as a music shop. How many of you have been there? You don't need to put your hands up, but I'm sure many of you have been, some of the young people as well. It's known as HMV. Do you know where HMV comes from? His master's voice. It's a trademark for, uh, I could go into the the roots of all of that. And uh, it's usually very noisy. I've been there a few times, as I said, there's a lot of background music going on. And it's as though his master's voice, in a sense, speaking of God, is being drowned out. In a very real sense. Just before I leave, take this uh, slide down, I wonder how many of us know the name of the dog in the illustration. He's known as Nipper, apparently. And I don't know if that's because of his habit of the way he greeted uh, some of the people that came to visit the house where he was. But that's another story. Well, we have to be like this dog His master's voice stems from the fact that the dog was listening to a recording, believe it or not. This was in the late 19th century of his previous owner who had died. Another famous dog I'm sure most of us are aware of, whose statue is in Edinburgh, Greyfriars Bobby. And it's amazing how poignant these, uh, these, these animals can be for us when we come to studying the word of God and the loyalty that has been shown by these animals to their previous masters. Let's just look at First uh, Samuel chapter 3. And by way of introduction, I'm not going to recap all that we have looked at before. You may recall that uh, whenever I've been privilege to stand here. We've been looking at uh, the first two, we looked at the first two chapters with a fair amount out of these and there is quite a lot uh, of background set before us. The first few chapters of this book, the first book of Samuel, are an introduction to Samuel, uh, the name of the book. And uh, it's, it's very interesting that uh, we find a lot of the background of Samuel given to us as to how he came to be the Lord's servant. And you know, it doesn't make very good reading because the setting in which this was at the time is given to us in chapter, in verse 1 of this chapter. Look at what it says. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, (coughs) excuse me, under Eli, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no frequent vision. Doesn't make very good reading to start off with. This was, of course, at the time of the judges in the history of God's people. And things weren't going very well. Things were morally and spiritually dark in that time. And uh, the scarcity of revelation from God to his people seemed to 
uh, indicate that God wasn't pleased with what was going on. And that is, in fact, what the case was. At the end of the book of Judges, we read that everybody did what they pleased. Everybody had a free hand and there was no restraint. God had even withdrawn his restraint on the sinful actions of the people of the time. And we find here in this chapter, if you like, there are three voices that are brought to our attention. There's first of all the voice of the Lord. Then there's Samuel's voice and Eli's voice, thirdly. I want to just bear these in mind as we look through the chapter and you can work in with me whose voice is, is speaking at whatever time it is. There's the Lord's voice, Samuel's voice, and Eli's voice. Now, as we've just seen from verse 1, there was no frequent vision, and the, the, the word of the Lord was raised. So God's voice wasn't there to all intents and purposes. God was very quiet. But as we go in through the, this chapter and right to the end of it, we see that God's voice becomes louder and louder and louder. The word rare is used in verse 1. This indicates to us that, yes, it was infrequent. But the fact that it was rare doesn't mean that it wasn't to be found. In fact, <clears throat> apparently in the original language, this word points at something to be cherished, something to be sought after. And yet the people didn't realize that God was withdrawing because of their actions, something from them that was very precious and would have been to their good. So at the beginning of the time, we're reading of the scarcity of revelation for the people here. The only word of the Lord we read of, you could say in the first few chapters of Samuel, particularly uh, the first two chapters, is a word of judgment. Uh, brought by the man of God against Eli in chapter 2. God wasn't speaking to the people. He didn't speak often. And when he did, it seemed to be a word of judgment, sadly. And I suppose in some respects, that is true of us in the day in which we are living. Now that seems to be uh, a, a very uh, shadowy, very dark way in which uh, this book uh, begins. But although it says the word was rare, it wasn't uh, absent altogether, mercifully, because the people, because of the people's hardness of heart, yet God was merciful. He could have come in much greater forceful judgment than he did. And the word of the Lord, although rare, is something that we must cherish. It's not rare for us because we have open Bibles with us on a day-to-day -day basis. We have this freedom that we have uh, to read his word and to seek him and find him. God will speak. God will guide. And uh, when his people will, will seek him especially, and when they seek to serve him diligently, this is a, a scriptural principle 
So let's look at what, what happens here. The scenario begins uh, with uh, Samuel uh, lying down uh, in the temple. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Here we have a symbolic uh, presence of God, at least the Ark of the Covenant, which was the symbol of God's presence at the time, right there. And there was another man in verse 2, whose name was Eli. He was the high priest. And poor Eli, uh, was he was old. We read here that his eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he couldn't see, and also Another thing that indicates to us something of the, spir- the spiritual condition of the people at the time, the Lamb of God had not yet gone out. Now, this is literally speaking of the temple lamp, which was lit at sunset, and at uh, sunrise it was uh, put out because it wasn't needed because of the light of the day. But in a spiritual sense, the Lamb of God had not yet gone out, very thankfully, And God was about to act in such a way as to fan, if you like, his light, uh, to fan it into life once again through speaking to Samuel. Eli, he was an old man. And Eli, as we've seen before, hadn't been very good as a high priest, as putting it mildly. His two sons had desecrated the altar of God because of their immoral activities. And Eli, on the one hand, he was their father. And on the other hand, he was their boss. He was in charge of them. He was responsible for their actions as priests of God. And he had neglected to deal with them in their sinful activities. And as we read there in, uh, in that verse, his eyes had begun to grow dim so he couldn't see. Uh, as I indicated a minute ago, this was true both spiritually and physically of Eli himself. And very, a few things in his person made him an, an ineffective leader for the people of God at the time. So, as we go on to verse 4, this is where we find uh, Samuel uh, lying down, and uh, we find him, sorry, in verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, Samuel was lying down in the temple uh, where the ark of God was, and then the Lord, in verse 4, came to Samuel. The Lord, in this narrative, called Samuel no less than four times. And the first three times, it's very interesting what goes on between Samuel and Eli. Very interesting here uh, how obedient Samuel was. Before we look at that closer still, I want to just look at the first few words of the first verse. The young man, Samuel, I'm using the ESV as my text translation, The young man, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord. I think in the NIV, which we had read for us, 
the text says the boy Samuel. And there's a little bit of a debate about the exact age of, the, of Samuel at that time. Well, it's reckoned that he was about 12 years old, according to uh, one of the Jewish writers, uh, Josephus, in his uh, commentaries. Uh, Samuel could have been anything from 12 to 15. We're talking about early secondary school age. And God was going to use the young Samuel. And uh, we find that he responds not knowing whose voice it was, not knowing where the voice, the call was coming from. But at least... He thought it was, very naturally, the man who was looking, had been looking after him and who had been his mentor, if you like, right down from the time Hannah and Elkanah came to the temple to give him to the Lord, as Hannah and Elkanah had promised to do a long time ago. We read from verse 5, that uh, Samuel, uh, he responds, he runs to Eli and he says, here I am for you called me. Naturally, he would have thought that this was the call of Sam, uh, the, the call of Eli. And <clears throat> I've just wondered if this call that came to Samuel on the first occasion and on the other occasions, was it an audible call? Well, I would like to believe that it was. And perhaps even Eli might have heard it. But he himself was of such a dull disposition spiritually and so on. And in his old age that, well, he might have heard the voice, but it didn't mean anything to him. And on three occasions, that's what happens. On the second occasion in verse 6, the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Very interesting. This response, Here I am. These three words speak, I think, of a readiness to be of service to whoever his master is. And at that time, Samuel's master was none other than Eli. And isn't it a mysterious providence from God that this man, Eli, who was in God's bad books at this time, was still being used by God in different ways, not least in the uh, tuition and in the development of the boy Samuel to become a, a prophet of the Lord, as we see later on in the narrative. It's a mystery how God can use errant teachers to, for his own purpose. But this is what God did. So Samuel, on the second occasion, he ran to Eli, you called me. But Eli again said, as he did the first time, I didn't call you, go and lie down again. And on the third occasion, the same thing happens again. And he arose and went to Eli, Samuel, and said, Here I am, for you called me. I wonder what was going through the mind of Samuel at that time, because he would have been thinking, Well, I'm hearing these, I'm hearing a voice, and I am honestly sure it's you that's calling me. 
It sounds like an authoritative voice, as you have been authoritative to me in the past. But Eli then suddenly realizes that there was more to this than he had first thought. And it takes three times for Eli for the penny to drop. It says in the, in the ESV, then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. He had not perceived this on the first three occasions. But suddenly he came to see that there was something going on here. And another thing that comes through here is the obedience of Samuel running to Eli on these occasions. And although he was wrong in thinking Eli had spoke to him, spoken to him, he was right in what he did. He came to Eli, his master, at the time, because he knew Eli might have needed his help. He was aware, obviously, of Eli's slowing down, his vision, and so on, his elderly incapacities. And then Eli, I believe that he was given some ability to instruct uh, Samuel to speak in the way that he did. And what does he say? Go lie down, verse 9, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. You know, as we've seen from the beginning of this narrative, God had not been speaking at all. We've read that the word of the Lord was rare and in those days, and there was no frequent vision. Uh, the word vision can be understood here as an audible revelation of the Lord because that is the way God spoke in these days through, through his servants right down from the early days of his re revelation of himself. And uh, Eli says to Samuel, this is what you should say if you hear the voice again. Speak, Lord. And it's very interesting that in, in giving that instruction, Eli uses the very word for God that denotes the God of the covenant of Israel. The God whom Israel had slipped away from. The God whom they had forsaken by and large. And yet Eli says, speak, Yahweh. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And I wonder how much of that instruction was bringing some sort of uh, pricking Eli's conscience because he knew within his own heart that he had let God down. And he had had a word from the man of God in chapter 2. There came a man of God in verse 27 of chapter 2 to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord Yahweh has said. I wonder who that man of God was. Could it have been a Christophany, an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ coming and speaking to Eli in a direct way. And Samuel, uh, sorry, Eli had heard the voice of the Lord for himself. But on this occasion, God doesn't come to Eli. 
But what the Lord is going to do is he's going to confirm, <clears throat> excuse me, he's going to confirm the first prophecy, the first message that Eli received through a young boy, through Samuel. What about Eli himself? And it was three times, as I said already, before it dawned on him that the voice of Samuel was, uh, the voice Samuel rather was hearing was the Lord's voice. And it's amazing how he gave Samuel what was a very, what you might call it, even wise instruction. And coming from Eli, that was something. He was old. He was complacent. He was a bit dull. He was a bit blind, physically and spiritually. Yet, God used him to fulfill his divine purpose in Samuel. Speak, Lord. And is that not our own prayer as well? If God doesn't speak, if there is silence where God is concerned, then we are left lost without any light. If God doesn't speak, where are we? But we thank God that he has spoken. And as we reminded in the letter to the Hebrews, in these gospel days, he is speaking to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak, Lord. The voice of the Lord, says the psalmist, is majestic and loud. And when God speaks, we hear. We must hear from God. As one commentator puts it, the preacher may speak, our parents may speak, our friends may speak, our teachers may speak. Those on whatever media we use for communication, radio, television, that's all fine. But their voices mean nothing for eternity unless God speaks through them. And that's what we all need, is it not? And you know, there are so many voices shouting at us in our modern day society. But the only voice that we must listen to is the voice of the Lord. And that voice comes to Samuel later on as we read in this uh, narrative. In verse 10 we read, this is the fourth time that God, the voice of the Lord comes, calling as at other times. And it's, it must mean something when we see it in the text, Samuel with an exclamation mark, Samuel with an exclamation mark. This must have been a shout, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, again, following the instruction he got from his teacher, Eli, speak for your servant hears. Speak for your servant is listening. Speak for your servant is on his tiptoes, waiting to hear what you have to tell me. And then we hear what God indeed has to tell to Samuel. And you know, there are different ways in which God's voice is heard in the Bible. 
But the, the greatest way God's voice is heard in the Bible is in a saving way, in a, a, a pleading way to come to himself for salvation. And that is exactly what the, the, the people of God at that time were not doing. And that is what the world in general today is not doing. And in some cases, that's what we as God's people are not doing. We're not listening to the voice of God in salvation. And if we don't listen to the voice of God in salvation, then the voice of God will come to us in judgment. And that is what God pronounces to Samuel, this very young man. And I wonder how he took it when God spoke to him. What we, what we read in verse 10 is it's very interesting. And Yahweh came and stood. He must have come right there into the presence of where Samuel was. So that Samuel, in a very real sense, saw the Lord face to face. He came and stood, calling us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And here is the message. Now, I'm not going into this, this in, a, in very great length, but it was a message of doom for Eli. On that day, in verse 12, we read, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. I will, I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. He was aware of what he was doing because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. He did not hold them back from doing what they were doing. He knew well that they were doing what was heinous in the eyes of God. Therefore, in verse 14, we read, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And there's a glimpse there of the mercy of God that is available to all who come to God in repentance, that there is atonement for sin. But it's a very dark message to receive. And God says that there shall not, not be atonement uh, by sacrifice or offering forever for the iniquity of Eli's house. But thanks be to God that for us there is. And Eli had missed the opportunity of that or so it would appear. And as we work down into the, the latter part of the chapter... This is the time when Samuel was challenged to bring this message from God to the person for which it was meant, for whom rather it was meant. So Samuel told him everything. But before we come to that, it's interesting how Eli was so curious as to find out, what is it? I want to know what God is telling you. I want to be aware for myself of the message that you got from God. Eli, verse 14, called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And Samuel, with his usual obedience and readiness to act favorably towards his master, he says, here I am. And Eli said, 
What was it that he told you? Don't hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. You must tell me whatever it is. I want to know what it is. And little did Eli realize, or maybe to some extent he did, was this some sort of confirmation of what I'd heard before from the man of, from God in, in, in chapter 2. Don't hide it from me. It's so important that I want you to swear on oath that you will tell me this. Otherwise, harm will come to you if you don't tell me what the Lord told you. And there it is in one verse. In verse 18, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. This is Eli in reply to the message from Samuel. Now, it's quite uh, interesting, Eli's reaction to the message uh, that Samuel relates to him. He finds that the message from, uh, from Samuel, it has to be believed. And he says, it is the Lord. He doesn't seem to uh, go away trembling or uh, in any way he doesn't seem to regret uh, uh, on appearance anyway what he has done he's, he's just saying oh well what will be what will be will be and Eli was well familiar with the teaching of the sovereignty of God from the Old Testament but he doesn't realize the gravity of that sovereignty and the gravity of that uh, judgment that was to come into his experience a little later on and on his household, on the priesthood uh, of which he was the of which he was the patriarch at, at the time, is all the priesthood was going to be cut off from there. Eli said, "It is the Lord." Let him do what seems good to him. Here is Eli acknowledging that what God does is what is right. It's almost as though Eli is acknowledging the fact that he has done wrong. But there is no sign of actual repentance. Maybe he had pled with God to take away that judgment, having heard it on the first occasion but here is confirmation of it as God works through the boy Samuel let him do what seems good to him well you know Eli's he's a lesson to us he's a bit of an enigma but he's a lesson to us all as to how cautious we should be not to trifle with God He's a lesson to us as to how we should conduct our lives in the things of God. And perhaps he's a pointed lesson to those of us who are leaders of God's people in our congregations. That we don't take God uh, lightly. It's a lesson to us also that we must turn away from the evil that we are all prone to commit in the, in the eyes of God and not least in, in, in worshipping him 
in doing what we, not doing what we ought to do and doing what we ought not to do as we give our lives to the Lord. And as we conclude, this ends on a brighter note. You know, at the beginning, we read that the word of the Lord was rare. It was very, very faintly seen. It was just like a, a vein running through a rock, a vein of precious metal running through a rock. Very difficult to find, but it was there if people sought after it. And we read concerning Samuel that he grew. Some words that echo which remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ in his development as the prophet uh, par excellence. He grew. He waxed uh, in his life as Uh, the older versions put it. Samuel grew. He grew as a child and he grew in his maturity, in his recognition of and his relationship with the covenant God of Israel. And because God, we read, was with him, God the Lord Yahweh was with him. And that is what we need as well. To know that without God with us, without the Lord Jesus Christ with us, without the Spirit taking of the things of Christ and revealing him to us, that we will not, uh, we will not prosper. The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. This speaks to us of the, the veracity of his prophetic calling by the Lord. Every word that he gave as a message to the children of Israel from now on would not fall to the ground. The word of God through Samuel would not return to him empty, but it would prosper everything that God wanted it to prosper him, prosper in. And fulfill the purpose for which God had sent it. And here is the wonderful thing in verse 20. Because of the influence of God on Samuel and Samuel's obedience to God in his call. We find that all Israel, all Israel, all the covenant people, the land, the people in the land, all Israel from Dan to Beersheba. From north to south, we might say, in a present-day context. From Lerwick to Land's End in the United Kingdom. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord because he voiced the message of God wherever opportunity arose and wherever Anybody was in need of hearing the message from the Lord of salvation. And lastly, the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. He had appeared first, firstly at Shiloh to, uh, to Samuel. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh. Is another very important aspect of this. Going back to verse 7, Samuel 
did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. It's all a matter of God's opening our eyes and our hearts coming into us, opening eyes that cannot see, opening ears that cannot hear, and enabling us to hear what God the Lord has to say to his people. For he will speak peace to his people, says the psalmist, and let them not return to foolishness. The word of the Lord, the Lord appeared for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And this is a theme. It's the word of the Lord that goes right through the Bible. The written word of the Lord brings to us the word of God manifest in the flesh, in the, in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is why Christ, the, the name of Jesus, is so central to the message of God's people in the day and age in which we are living. I'm going to finish just by quoting the words of John in his gospel, words with which we are all, I think, fairly familiar. John's gospel begins in this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This was Samuel in his reaction to the message from God. And no matter how young you are, you can be used by God in a very simple way. And all you have to do is follow Samuel's example of obedience. Listening to, to hear what God the Lord is saying. Reading the word of God. Listening to older Christians who can teach you. Listening to parents. But it doesn't matter how old we are either. It's never too late to listen to God. There is still hope. The door of mercy is still open. And we thank God that we are still on mercy's ground. That God still is listening to us. And that not only is he listening to us, but more importantly, he is still speaking to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for our dullness of hearing. Enable us to hear your voice amidst, amidst the clamor of voices that are shouting at us from every direction in the world in which we are living. Enable us, Lord, to be witnesses for you, not only by word of mouth, but by our lives, that we may, as the apostle puts it, living letters known and read by all people. Lord, may your name be honored 
and grant us your blessing. Own what is your own, Lord, and take away what is just man's. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, we're